Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation. Improving the lives of California's children and youth at risk. Block Construction, a builder committed to enhancing communities in the Bay Area and Central Coast. B-L-A-C-H dot com. Block Construction. Together, building greatness. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected. On the web at theschmidt.org. On today's California Report magazine, stories from classrooms around the state, from a school for kids with autism that burned down in the Sonoma County wildfires to a Central Valley district where some schools are using drastic measures to discipline kids. Once you start getting in trouble a lot, you're like, oh, that, I don't really care if I get in trouble anymore because I'm already in trouble. Plus, a Bay Area teacher tells us about being sexually harassed by a principal for our new series, Us Too. I felt like I was walking on eggshells with him. He wanted me to know that he had control over me. We've got your weekly road trip for the ears to meet the people and visit the places that make the Golden State unique. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. California is grappling with wildfire again. Fierce winds whipping up fast-moving flames, people evacuating, communities threatened. I woke up to just the sirens of the cops just saying that there was a Ventura Police Department and then we had to evacuate. It was a mandatory evacuation. It was moving so quickly and it was the scariest moment of my life. I was basically hosing down the sides of our buildings, saving them from the embers that were coming across. I was a little bit immobile because I have a broken leg. And then I stopped by the barn to check on my two horses. And at that point, I could see the flames on the hill right above them, just big flames devouring probably oak trees. It was dark, so it was tough to see what it was burning. Voices from the wildfires blazing through Southern California this week, threatening communities from San Diego to Santa Barbara. These fires come just about two months after the wine country fires broke out in the northern part of the state. Once the flames are out, it can take months for communities and families to recover. For students at a school in Santa Rosa that serves high-functioning autistic kids, the past few months have been really tough. The school, called the Anova Center for Education, burned down. Nine families from the school lost their houses, too. Anova was a home away from home for them. Reporter Lee Romney checks in on one 12-year-old student and what the school's been doing to get him and his peers back to a calming classroom routine. Give me the first note again. 
It's mid-October, and I'm visiting Jaco Sodi, his twin sister, and their parents at a family friend's house. It's the fourth place they've stayed since the Tubbs fire raged through Santa Rosa. The piano helps them feel a little bit normal. Jaco evacuated his own Santa Rosa house in the early hours of October 9th. He left without much besides his Star Wars shirt, the one that's got Darth Vader on it, playing baseball with a lightsaber. My sister said, we were evacuating Jocko, just get, just get out of your dang bed. And uh, yeah, my sister was cruel that way. He's pretty unhappy about that, because his house and everything in it burned down. If I could have grabbed more, I probably would have grabbed all my fencing gear, which cost like hundreds of dollars. The rental market here is so tight that Jocko's parents have even been talking about leaving the county. The upheaval is taking a toll, says his mom, Lucia Casho. The thought of changing was probably heavy for him. So, yeah, We're probably not going to change schools in general, are we? We're trying really hard to, to stay here, right? That, that's what mommy and daddy are trying really hard to do. Got it. To understand just how hard this is, it helps to know what things were like for Jocko before he got to Inova Center for Education. He was diagnosed with autism when he was three and a half. He spent kindergarten, first, and second grade at a public school, but he struggled with depression and anxiety. He was punished a lot for being aggressive to his peers. Here's his twin sister, Sophia. People would recognize me, not like as Sophia, but like, you're Jocko's sister. You're the one who's related to the guy that pulled my hair or something. It's like, no, he's Jocko. It's like, He's not just a hair puller. He can learn stuff. When Jocko's school district agreed to send him to Anova and cover the costs, everything changed. They won't treat me as if I was a bad person for like the first time in a while. This teacher not treating me like a bad person it hasn't happened in a while for me. He skipped a grade, and his outbursts dwindled to almost nothing. The kids could leave class whenever they needed a break. There were quiet rooms for calming down, rooms where they could jump on a trampoline or swing to stimulate their vestibular systems, counselors to talk to, and that therapy dog named Larry. I like to just flop his ears around sometimes. Most of the time he just sleeps on his bed, which hopefully was, which might, probably might have been burned in the fire. After spending time with Jocko and his family, I meet up with Andrew Bailey, Anova's CEO and Director of Educational Services. He co-founded the school 17 years ago as a therapist when he realized that high-functioning kids with autism were falling through the cracks. All of us really started understanding that the students like the ones we serve are not misbehaving because they're bad or manipulative. And that is a game changer for our students. They're understood and they're addressed with sensory sensitivity. We're at the school's administrative office, which didn't burn, and Bailey and his staff have been in a mad scramble. So all of these, you know, instead of sitting in one big classroom, we'll have people broken up. ANOVA will fit some students here in the office. The rest will be split between two other schools in the county with classrooms to spare. Therapists will be at each site, ready to help students like Jocko assess how they're feeling. Three weeks after the fire, school's back in session. Jocko's grade and two others are in borrowed space in nearby Healdsburg for now. I pop in to visit when they're making art. 
Jocko's drawing a dog that looks a lot like his own. She's been staying with a pet sitter since the fire. It's very cute. Hello, everyone. Is it going to be like this every afternoon? I don't know. That's a good question. The new space has its limitations, but outside, Jocko's teacher, Alicia Hahn, says just getting back to routine is a huge relief. You could just feel the uh, positivity from all of them, just seeing their friends and seeing their teachers and just being like, ah, normalcy. I just need to reload the force power now, so it's going to take a little bit. In early December, I visit Jocko's family. They lucked out with a new rental house not far from Jocko's temporary school. The landlord loaned them some furniture, a big TV, and lots of games. Jocko, your screen time is over. No, it's not. But it's been hard to settle into a new routine. Jocko's mom and dad have longer commutes now because their old office was smoke-damaged. They're overwhelmed with fire recovery. So they had to cancel Jocko's weekly meetings with an outside psychologist. We need to play Lava Monster. Wow, lava mushroom. Over dinner, Jocko says he's warmed up to the temporary campus. He likes the playground. The wood chips are lava. But Anova could reopen at the old location as soon as next month in portable classrooms while the school awaits a full rebuild. Meanwhile, some things are already back to normal. I'm the only person in this entire house who knows how to operate that stuff, and I'm not going to. Not anymore. Figured it out. Wait, what? Once you, you've done it right in front of me. Yeah, you sort of figure it out. Once do you even know how to turn on, you know how to turn on the TV? Yes. Damn it. Anyways. Like fighting over the TV. For the California Report, I'm Lee Romney. And now let's head to Arvin, a farm town at the southern tip of the Central Valley, northeast of Bakersfield. It's late afternoon, school just got out, and a bunch of kids are hanging out at a skate park. They're taking turns on a razor scooter and eating chips from a market across the street. These kids go to school in Kern County, where districts have been in the spotlight because of the high number of students they suspend and expel. That's no surprise to these kids. Here's 12-year-old Jose Gutierrez. In all the seventh and eighth, uh, almost half of the boys got suspended for like little things and big things. At Jose's middle school, the suspension rate last year reached more than twice the state average. The expulsion rate, almost 17 times the state average. At the skate park, this nine-year-old boy chimes in. I got suspended for a bunch of things. They don't have anger problems. I think that's how you say it. Studies have shown that with each suspension, a student's more likely to be held back, drop out, and end up in jail. Angel Duran is 12, and he's been suspended multiple times. Once you start getting in trouble a lot, you're like, oh, I don't really care if I get in trouble anymore because I'm already in trouble. Last month, California's Superintendent for Public Instruction announced across California, suspensions have been cut in half compared to five years ago. Expulsions are down more than 40 percent. The state has encouraged these reductions, but the story behind the numbers is complicated. As schools stop relying on suspensions and expulsions to discipline students, some are struggling to find other ways to keep bad behavior in check. One middle school here in Kern County has turned to drastic measures. 
ways of disciplining kids you might think were phased out decades ago. I'm going to let the California Report's education reporter, Vanessa Rancaño, pick it up from here, taking us just a few miles down the road to a little farm worker community called Weed Patch. In the public library near Weed Patch, a dozen parents, teachers, and community members are standing around a whiteboard. Esta encuesta está basada en 100 estudiantes. School board member Leticia Prado shows the group the results of a survey they did recently with 100 kids from local schools. Prado takes the group through a series of punishments the students described. Los ponían parados con la nariz, um, she reads, standing with their noses to the wall for long periods of time. 21 students said yes. Los ponían hacer lagartijas en el sol. Being forced to do push-ups, 18 students said yes. The group found these practices were pervasive at one school in particular, Sunset Middle School, here in Weed Patch, where kids were also told to pull weeds and clean bathrooms. That's where Virginia Melchor's son goes to school. She says she's worried school administrators are lowering the kids' self-esteem. She doesn't want her son to end up hating school on a path that's all too familiar. That's because her older son was bullied in middle school, got in fights, and was suspended. That record followed him to high school, where he kept getting suspended until he was finally expelled. Melchor says her son was really hurt and left with a negative view of school. She was part of a lawsuit over discipline policies at the district that disproportionately impacted black and Latino students. The district settled earlier this year. It promised to create new policies with help from experts on implicit racial bias. Melchor says these reforms come too late for her older son. He's working in the fields now, picking fruit. That's why she's worried about her younger son and his middle school classmates. Like Cristo Rodriguez Morales, a sixth grader. When she got in trouble for messing around in class, she says the principal made her stand outside the office, facing the wall, during lunch and recess. That's 35 minutes a day for the whole week. She'd eat lunch standing at the wall. Like, it made me want to cry. Because, like, it wasn't fair. Like, at least made me sit down. Um, my feet were really hurting. Once, she says, the principal had her in the office doing wall sits. You know those exercises where you sit against the wall without a chair and your quads burn like crazy? The principal, Matthew Ross, confirmed these punishments. So last year, it was absolutely out of control. We needed to take control of the school back again. Ross is also the superintendent of this tiny district. He stepped in as Sunset's principal a year ago, after the last principal quit. Cyberbullying, intimidations, harassment, parents taking their students to another person's house to fight the other student because that's how they thought that they would get justice. This behavior went unchecked, he says, because the school was trying to do something good, reduce the suspension rate. Part of it was an overcorrection of the idea that we're not supposed to suspend kids. A few years ago, Sunset Middle School was suspending students at close to three times the state rate. Since then, suspensions have dropped by 60 percent. The state of California has made this a priority. And there was that lawsuit over discipline policies in the county. 
So the school cut way back on suspensions, but nobody really figured out what to do instead. I challenge anyone who's complaining, work here for 30 days and watch the frustration of a teacher who's got six or seven kids that incessantly disrupt that class and keep others from learning. See the frustration among the other kids who actually want to learn or the parents who send their kids to school to get a good education. Superintendent Ross defends his harsh practices and says he's taking steps to put in place a more structured system of discipline, including counselors to help get at the root causes of kids' behavior. Meanwhile, those parents we heard from at the beginning of the story, the ones who surveyed their kids about how they were treated at school, they plan to take the results to the county. And if the county doesn't listen, they say they'll go to the state. Mom Virginia Melchor says they'll take this as far as it needs to go. Ya que nosotros no tuvimos una educación como tal, queremos lo mejor para nuestros hijos. We didn't get an education, she says, so we want the best for our kids. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño in Weed Patch. I knew in my head no one was going to take my side in this. I've got to figure this out. He closed his door and cut to the chase. It's humiliating and it's frustrating. I'm not exactly sure if I'll ever get past the taint that this has left. Voices from women around the state sharing their stories of sexual harassment. They're among hundreds of people who've responded to a survey about their experiences at the workplace and elsewhere. KQED's Silicon Valley senior editor Tanya Mosley has been collecting their responses. And this week we're launching a new series called Us Too. Today we hear from Sonia Lee, an elementary school teacher from Oakland, about an encounter early in her career and how that moment has impacted the way she teaches. So it was my first year as a special education teacher, so I was already very stressed about knowing all the laws and doing everything correctly. And the administrator that I worked for, he was a bully. I felt like I was walking on eggshells with him. He wanted me to know that he had control over me. So any emails I sent, I had to CC him on. Any phone calls that I got went through him first. The first time that I really felt uncomfortable was when I was getting ready to leave and he came up behind me and gave me a massage on my shoulders and just said, oh, you shouldn't be working so late. Like, you're putting in a lot of hours and just massaging my shoulders. And I just thought, this is really uncomfortable and it's not appropriate. But does this mean that I'm on his good side? Will he make my life here at work easier? So there was a morning before the students showed up Um, that the principal called me into his office. He closed his door and cut to the chase, asked me if I wore thongs or underwear, and it really caught me off guard. That was really the tipping point for me to go to my union rep. 
um, when I asked my union if I could file it anonymously, they said I couldn't because, of, you know, if I wanted to proceed with it, I, my name would be shared. Um, so I didn't file anything. I was really fearful of him and how he could make my work life harder. And so he was already making it so stressful for me. I was getting hives all over my body just from stress and anxiety. After I left that school, the next year, um, the teachers had come together and um, filed a complaint against that principal, and he ended up resigning. I felt a lot of shame in myself that I did not step forward and didn't have the courage to go through with my complaint. As a teacher, given this experience, I feel like I've been given that really positive um, opportunity to teach children to respect each other, to change this whole culture of sexual harassment and um, assault in the workplace and any kind of environment. I want them to grow up knowing it's not okay. Many teachers are now rethinking how they approach sex education. KQED's Tanya Mosley takes us inside a Menlo Park classroom where consent, sexual harassment, and preventing sexual violence are the lessons of the day. Class has started, and Mid-Peninsula High School teacher Michelle Boyer gets right down to business. All right, so you guys can get notebooks, come take a seat. We're going to run this a little bit council style today. Boyer teaches sex ed as part of her life skills class. And near the front door of her classroom is a box where students can ask questions about anything anonymously. The other day, she received one that's been weighing heavy on her mind. She reads it out loud to the class. To what extent do you need a verbal yes as consent? Boyer had already planned to teach about consensual sex and harassment next quarter, but this question and the nonstop news about sexual harassment and abuse over the last few weeks has pushed the discussion to now. They know that it's wrong and they're very able to be like, wow, what that guy did was horrible. But I mean, I have taught students where they didn't even know sexual harassment was a thing. <laughs> like they were like, oh, I didn't even know that happened. And even if they do understand, says Boyer, most don't understand the nuances and how sexual harassment can play out. She poses a follow-up question to the class made up of seniors. Anyone want to share about what they think consent means or why consent is important? 18-year-old Ian Dutcherville is the first to answer. Most people say yes, but you can also tell like if they're reluctant to it, then you should probably not. Yeah. What can? Yourself. How do you tell? Is there something maybe like the tone of their voice or like yeah. body language? Yeah, and what does of, that look like? It's a lot like? of body language and facial cues, honestly, mm -hmm. because. Like, like in everyday life, like, most people will say something and then, like, they could possibly mean something else. Right. Boyer says this back and forth about the nuances of human interaction is one of the most important parts of sex education. But for generations, it's been one of the most overlooked. And it was literally, you know, anatomy, physiology, STIs. And that was it. California has recently become known as a leader for teaching beyond the basics. Three years ago, the state passed the Healthy Youth Act, which requires educators teach about topics like sexual assault and sexual harassment. 
the curriculum Boyer follows goes a step further, asking students to discuss these topics with loved ones at home. And the kids hate it, but they realize it wasn't that bad. I mean, parents really open up to their kids. And in class, these conversations also drift into the gray areas. Take, for example, what happens later when Boyer poses a new scenario. Being unwanted explicit text messages is a form of sexual harassment. Agree or disagree? It's not a big deal, honestly, anymore to me. Like, why, why do you think it's become normalized? Or what? It just happens so often. You just get over it. You block them and you move on. But 17-year-old senior Allison Hulsenkamp argues it is harmful. Most, she says, aren't asking for it. The other person is, like, doing it out of their consent, so it's not really agreeable. Boyer will likely have this kind of conversation a few more times this year, and she says that's a good thing. You know, I can't protect them. I can't be there all the time, but I can definitely start to give them tools to ha- how to work with this and give them outlets. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Tools to make informed decisions about what's okay and what's not. For the California Report, I'm Tanya Mosley in Menlo Park. Every week, the California Report magazine takes you on a road trip for the ears. Getting directions to forks of salmon. We visit the places and meet the people who make the Golden State unique. From a homeless college student in Oakland. So I don't feel like just because I'm homeless that I have to look the part. To a cattle ranching mom in the Sierra foothills. So I fix fence, we pull calves, I do everything. We're the half-hour weekend magazine, the in-depth storytelling show from the California Report, and we're launching our own podcast. Subscribe to the California Report magazine on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Last year, we took you to the Guadalupe Nipomo sand dunes near Santa Barbara, where the 1920s blockbuster The Ten Commandments was filmed remains of the movie set are still buried in the sand. Now, as Bianca Taylor tells us, archaeologists have made a big discovery. When Cecil B. DeMille made his film, The Ten Commandments, he used the massive sloping sand dunes in Guadalupe as a stand-in for ancient Egypt. Huge gates and towering statues were built into the sand. It was the biggest set ever built for the most expensive movie that had ever been made. That's a clip from the documentary The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille. When filming ended, DeMille buried the set in the sand dunes so no rival studios could steal it. But that didn't stop archaeologists from searching for treasures in the sand. It's all plaster and wood that's been sitting there for 94 years. That's Doug Jensen, executive director of the Guadalupe Napomo Dune Center. In November, archaeologists there dug up their most impressive find yet, a huge statue of a sphinx. That's a cat body with a human head from ancient Egyptian mythology. It's about five and a half feet tall and 300 pounds, and it's quite the statue to be working with. It took 10 people 12 days to excavate the waterlogged statue made of plaster of Paris and horsehair. The first thing they noticed was its color, which was not black and white like the other remains they'd found. The part that was in the earth the longest uh, had this deep, terracotta pigment to it. 
It was a complete surprise. Jensen sees uncovering these relics from the Ten Commandments movie set as an important way of saving a piece of cinematic history. People around the country and actually around the world could go see these films and have these shared experiences for the first time. And Jensen says it's also about bringing art to Guadalupe. It deserves to get some positive press and, and children here deserve to have these amazing things to see in, in museums. You can see the Sphinx for yourself at the Dune Center next summer. For the California Report, I'm Bianca Taylor. And that's the California Report magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our director is Susie Racho. Our technical producer this week is Rob Spate, with additional engineering from Howard Gelman and Katie McMurrin. Victoria Malion is our senior editor. Our online producer is David Marks. And our social media producer is Miranda Leitzinger. Bianca Taylor is our intern. Our team also includes Ingrid Becker, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected, on the web at theschmidt.org. The James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org. And Barracuda Networks, cloud generation firewalls engineered for today's modern, globally dispersed networks, Learn more at barracuda.com slash firewalls. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.